Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we're stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hey, I'm John Hall. This episode is airing on MLK Day. So if you're off for the weekend and, and doing some good for the world, congratulations to, to you. And uh, uh, thanks for having us along. Last week, we celebrated the birthday of Brian Cass. And it was very, very, very exciting. This week, because we're recording this to air on the 15th, this coming Thursday is the birthday of fellow Capricorn, Jeff Allworth, who is also <laughs> our accomplice today. Whoa, nice tie-in. And, nice. and you didn't mention your birthday, John. Oh, nobody cares about my birthday. Nobody sends me $5 cards on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My, uh, well, I, for the I purposes of time travel, my birthday was last week. Mm. Oh. From this episode airing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, sorry, guys. In between shows, I picked up a couple emails that needed immediate attention, but I'm now back. Hey, Allworth, before you two start zinging each other like old school 1940s movie, you know, writers in the in the pit or whatever you guys call it, My I want to say thanks. You wrote an article. I don't know if you've noticed, but you wrote an article about, hey, fuck dry January, make it pub January. And did and he say dry January? I don't think he that's said. exactly what he said. That was the headline banner headline. Fuck dry January, make it pub January. Um, Anything but so basically, Nirvana. instead of having to see, it's already gone downhill, John Hall. But instead of having to engage everybody who wrote things like that, I just started copy, copying and pasting the link to Birvana in for how about this? How about this? How about this? So thank you for making that that easy on me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, <laughs> I had that idea in a fever dream flash and I thought, you know, this would actually be really good. I've talked to a lot of my brewer friends and my pub friends and things aren't going so well right now. So they're looking at a January when everybody's like, nope, let's not go to the pub. And it seems like- Well, it's not just dry January. It's also just people overspending in December. So I would like to start the campaign of just spend less in December. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, you know, <laughs> we have this big hangover, right? Where the end of- the end the jan january 1st comes and then everybody goes into their little hole and it's kind of a dark time and we we spend all our social time in all our social capital in december and we should you're right we should save some for those capricorns it's the celebratory month january i know it's i feel like all of the bars should be out and packed celebrating cast celebrating you um just just big national parties i'm right there with you man I, I like that. Just uh, 
it's like an old Mad Hatter thing of just the uh, the 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 movable feast of us at pubs. Um, you know, I, I love getting out there. Augie, I think, is distracted by emails at the moment. But um, I, I, I love getting out to Portland and visiting you. And it's now been two years since I've been out there. But um, there is a really vibrant pub culture in your town, like even brewery aside. Um, but there's a great drinking culture in your town. And like so many other things with Portland, unless you're there, you're never going to really hear about it or experience it because you all are so insular you travel around a bunch what is the pub culture of portland like what is what is the bar culture like yeah and, we have and how does it stand out or how does it differ in your mind from you know those other travels that you take on right uh you're right we do have a great drinking culture and i think it actually a little bit goes back to a civic planning in the 1960s when the city tried to stop uh, the suburban sprawl and the, the flight out of the city into the suburbs. Um, the city did a bunch of stuff to try to keep the, the downtown, downtown core active. And what that did was it preserved all the neighborhoods uh, that have little like movie theaters and corner grocery stores, bodegas and pubs. So we actually have, when we came into, you know, years and years later, when we came into craft brewing, um, those were great places to found your own brewery, but there were already, you know, neighborhood pubs or dive bars all over the city. And we still have a ton of neighborhood bars that are really popular. Um, I lost I, you guys. What's that? It's, it's fine. Keep going, Jeff. Uh, yeah. In fact, I was on Monday. I was at Beulah Land, which is near my house, and it's a cool old dive bar. And when you go to a dive bar in Portland, you will not find a domestic lager on tap. Um you might find like Rainier in the can, but um, for the most part, it's all craft beer too. So you get the the cool neighborhood uh, dive bar vibe uh, and good beer. So it's a it's a cool drinking scene. I remember, I can't remember if we've talked about it on this show, but I know it came up recently, but years ago when the Craft Brewers Conference was in Portland, uh, a fellow scribe, Brian Yeager, uh, pitched me on writing about the strip clubs of Portland. Uh, and specifically the the, the beer solution <laughs> at them, um, and we ran the story, and we caught some heat for it. But like we we you know we ran it past you know the appropriate people to say like, hey, are we being you know smart and respectful here? And it was a it was a it was a fairly fascinating beer story where it's like even at you know strip clubs where I feel like in the rest of the country it's dollar pony bottles of of Rolling Rock. Um, there's great beer selection there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we, we are infinite, infamous uh, for having a lot of strip bars, uh, which which goes back to an Oregon State Supreme Court ruling that uh, stripping is speech, so you can't yeah. you can't stop strip bars. So we have a ton of them, um, and we have good beer everywhere that you can go. So that includes strip bars, and actually, you know, a lot of people spend time in strip bars, and Portlanders like good beer, so. You don't want to be drinking a, a Mickey's Big Mouth at a strip bar. You want you want your nice locally made IPA. Let's not be mean to Mickey's, Jeff. Like, <laughs> you can pick a lot better targets than Mickey's. Can, can you? <laughs> I, I, I think you can. That. I really think you can. I think I think there's a lot a lot of beer that deserves heat before Mickey's. All right, welcome back, Augie Carter. Mm. Sorry about that. And and there were like four times I wanted to jump in, but I liked listening to that, so I just stepped back out. Um. 
Anyway, so all true, all valid. Let's talk about. It. So here's my question for you: Do I have it right? Are mushrooms now legal where you live, or not illegal where you live? How does that work? Yeah, they're sort of legal. Um, we we. I'm just gonna have a follow up of you know any real estate available. <laughs> no unrelated question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we do decriminalized drugs in. Uh, Oregon, and so you don't ever really get in serious trouble uh, if you're if you're caught with drugs. Um, I think maybe unless you have a a lot and you're you know like a a dealing amount. Um, so you kind of fit in that with the the mushroom thing. But then we passed a separate law which allows therapeutic use of mushrooms, um, and so that's not like uh, recreational marijuana where you can go to a dispensary and buy weed. Um, in whatever strength and package you want, you have to, it's, it's fairly tightly regulated. So, so the reason I ask is you remember, I think probably around the first time you were on, but steal this beer, which was about as old as, yeah. What I'm saying is steal this beer is about as old as legal marijuana. Like Colorado goes legal around the time this show starts and a constant kind of thing that's come up is it's as it was talked about was how will legalization of marijuana affect beer consumption and the problem is the covid wrinkle in trying to understand what's happened to beer consumption but as we know beer consumption is significantly down at every level and the longer we do this the more i see like when we talk about na beers on this show, I talk about them not as a way to avoid inebriation, but as a nice complement to the inebriation of weed. You know what I mean? Like friends of mine have found that their life is more manageable with a five milligram edible buzz and the flavor of an IPA rather than the wild card of whether you've had three or five IPAs, depend on what you're eating. That makes sense to me. I'm just kind of wondering in the world that's breaking the new ground of a new inebriant, and one with such a rich history of, you know, craft beer drinking. Any feeling on if that's affecting anything? Are you seeing anything in that that year since that move? Is there any sensation of one propping the other up as could be expected or pushing the other down as could be expected? You know what I mean? Like, are you seeing anything? Is there any writing on the wall for that yet? Yeah, uh, I, I do have thoughts on that. We we were in the second wave, uh, Washington, Colorado were the first, and and then we and I can't remember Alaska or somebody else were the next election cycle we passed it. Um, so we've had it for we've had a recreational for a long time, and it, it is interesting that if you look at at some of the early states, uh, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, California, these are all big beer states as well. So um, I don't know if there's a connection there, but <laughs> uh, we were the canaries in the coal mine in terms of that question and my my impression is that it's a little bit difficult to disentangle from the bleed away from beer in terms of to all the other uh alcohol products that are now available um and weed but i i think the the fear that it was going to radically damage beer was way overblown um it okay. didn't seem to have a, a much of effect um and, and you know partly all these early states that legalized weed already had massive illegal weed uh, markets. So I think maybe that was an issue that was maybe not not as examined as much as we thought. 
Fair enough. My my problem is I've definitely seen people who weren't weed smokers 10 years ago pick up weed. Like it's definitely found its way. And I mean like old white dudes. I mean classic craft beer drinkers. Uh, you know what I mean? Like guys who were always afraid of the illegality of it are now like, yeah, no. I just ate a gummy bear, dude. I'll meet you out at the bar. You know what I mean? So so I, I think there's been more of that than we thought or I thought there was at the time but i just don't know how much and i'm interested in especially things like the microdosing of mushrooms because it plays like that small edible amount of thc buzz i'm wondering if that you know undermines either of those two markets is what i'm thinking anyway thanks yeah and i think, all I makes think maybe sense. something to think about also is looking at the other end um young people getting into uh, drugs and alcohol now as they age into an inebriation. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> sense is a lot of the younger folks, at least in Oregon, uh, are not nearly as interested in alcohol as past generations, and they do seem to be pretty weed-friendly, so it, we might be seeing some ingress there. Yeah, it's just interesting. You know, you always got to keep your finger on the pulse. Um, Hall, how's your microdosing going? Uh, you know, I don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's full doses, and then all of a sudden it's June, a dram, if you will. <laughs> uh, so sorry, so let's get Fill back it up. To this pub. is America, goddammit. I order by the pint. Yeah, <laughs> let's get back to the pub article because I did, I did really did appreciate that for my shorthand. But have you seen any reactions to it? amongst different parts of your reach are people like yeah or are people like no i've got so much trouble 11 months of the year i have to be cleansing on lemon water for all of january yeah i mean i think it's going to be a little bit of a slow burn um i you know i'm not the new york times so it's a little hard for me to start these kinds of things, but um, you're my New York Times. <laughs> uh, the local folks who uh, are you know own breweries and pubs were pretty appreciative of it, and it did get a fair amount of activity on social media. and And the truth is, when I wrote that, I actually wrote it in the not in the this <laughs> to, to use your term, terms, uh, fuck dry January, do pub January. Because <laughs> uh, I knew that, that that would immediately sidetrack the main point, which is get out to the pubs like they need your bodies in the seats. Um, and I mentioned that, you know, if you are doing dry January, it doesn't mean you can't go to a pub. You just have, you know, a soda or a non-alcoholic beer with your burger. And that's fine. Like that publicans, anybody who owns a brewery or a tap room is going to be happy to see your body there, especially if you're bringing friends who are drinking. So you <laughs> unless know, you're in New Jersey where we're only legally allowed to serve you beer. That's right. Um, That's, yeah, you were in a weird state. Yeah, as you said that, I was like, you're not helping me at all here, Jeff. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> they have to come and they have to drink beer, but I will give them a low alcohol beer. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So the other thing is, um, so here's a fun thing to check with you about for the same thing, especially for the West Coast perspective. Um, I just got home from England and was in crowds of bars doing that classic british four to eight p.m session drinking that has completely disappeared on the east coast of america like the the thing i think if you re besides obviously your 
directive to get out there and visit and sit down in your your small locally owned pubs and or tasting rooms for a pint or two and some conversation and fun which would help the thing i'm seeing evaporating at least in my little part of the world is the beer at the bar after dinner culture people even though they seem to be back to going out to some extent are going home much earlier you know what i mean and if your job is to make beers to sell draft in bars you know what i mean it's it's yeah, it's that, bad. Those two pints have disappeared largely around here. How is it out there? Do people were people out as late as around here? Like last call in New Jersey's two. And our bars, like our pubs, would serve till two. And now they're fully, you know, closed on sign on the door at 10. Yeah, we're in exactly the same boat. Um, I, I can speak to the Pacific Northwest. I don't know, uh, I haven't been to California. Uh, post COVID enough to uh, talk about them. But um, yeah, up here, it's the same thing. Uh, we're having, uh, if you go to a, a brewery tap room, you're seeing last call at 9 p.m. a lot of places. Um, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, we're, we, we never really bounced back after COVID. Uh, people didn't come back to the pubs in the way that everybody thought they would. And um, it's, yeah, it's, I think sort of the the standard I'm hearing is, uh, for for brewery owners and their tap rooms that are down about 25 to you know to a quarter to a third from their pre-covid traffic and a lot of that is happening at the night it's just yeah it's i mean portland has never been a great city for hanging out all night um i i joke that we're the city that sleeps but um, <laughs> <laughs> even with that it's been pretty bad i did hear one interesting thing though which was that so we are our our, uh, our dive bars are open until two and um, I've heard that because of the price of a pint, more and more people are kind of going either high or low. So they're going to dive bars or they're, or they're going out for really nice, uh, you know, a nice meal and, and spending a lot of money, but that middle tier, uh, which is where breweries reside is, is what's getting hit. And that wasn't, I don't have any data on that, but it really struck me as possibly true. So that's interesting. So, you know, it's interesting there. I've, I definitely know that to be true in my experience, but I've been kind of alibying it differently. And it's interesting. Maybe it is just that, like you're, if you're only out once, make it big or, you know, do the regular out thing very small. That's an interesting way to look at it. The way I've been kind of trying to figure it out is, you know, no matter where you are politically, um, when COVID first happened, when it was presented as if everybody stays home for two weeks it'll all be fine everybody did that no matter what your politics are now no matter how fucking crazy you went during covid when that was first presented everybody's like all right we'll figure this out and everybody basically treated it like a snow day right everybody went out and bought five to ten cases of whatever they drink so if you're a bud light guy it's bud light and if you're a chardonnay guy it's chardonnay and if you're a you know figure out out by you a what's a you know. standard beer you know what i mean like a double ipa you bought a bunch of that and then as it played out and things got super ridiculous and super stupid on every end of the spectrum and it stretched out way past two weeks that last case of whatever you were living with got your ire you know what i mean we're like ah 
fuck. And it just reminded you of what was supposed to be good times that had turned so bad. So I do see people out for like a $24 mixed drink that they never could have made themselves during COVID, right? Even if you're a Jack Daniels guy and bought four cases of Jack Daniels during the lockdown, you're, you know what I mean? That's what you're mad at. I think that's part of why Bud Light had such a ridiculous reaction was people were kind of okay to let go of their favorite thing because they got sick of it during the lockdown. Um, but so I see people going out for things they never could do themselves, like these wonderfully crafted cocktails or new shit. And to finish my long and winded point, going into lockdown, it was White Claw, right? That was the RTD that was killing everybody. And now it's around here. It's these like vodka iced tea flat drinks. So it's just something different seems to be what people are reaching for as they go back to whatever they are. And I think that's where those of us that are trying to be, you know, dependable brand for a long amount of time are kind of getting whipsawed. But it could also just be that $16 price point is just right in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's hard to think about like how much of this is economic, how much of it is just trends. But I, I definitely feel like we're we're having a big cocktail moment as well. And, you know, they're, like you said, uh, they tend to be on the Baroque expensive side. So, yeah. But also I, really hard to do. Right. Right. Nobody's going out for a Bloody Mary. Right. <laughs> yeah, we have, of course, it's Portland. So we have a lot of artisanal mixologists here and and uh, a number of places are really touting their their incredibly cool cocktails and they're not cheap and they're yeah they're you know but those places are full of people yeah they are so that's what i'm saying like i don't know that it's money everybody's like oh well you know inflation and times are tight i'm like i'm seeing people waste money on two ounce up drinks so i don't know that it's money if we could figure it out right here, I think it would help the industry a lot. So I'm always trying. I'm always trying. <laughs> John Hall, what do you think? Yeah, John, what do you think it is? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to be part of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so so the pickle beer really settled in on John. Did the boys uh, when when I was tuned out, did the boys tell you the the wonderful melange that uh Kennedy sent us for the last show? Yeah, we drank uh, a, a pickle beer blind and then a Rauk beer blind, and the pickle beer did no favors to the Rauk beer. <laughs> um, Can you believe that? Sir? And by the way, the Rauk beer was a maple syrup Rauk beer. Yeah. No, it, it, <laughs> on the cocktail front, though, it is interesting because the bars that I go to these days, right? I, I We went through that phase for a while where it was like, here's what's new or exciting or over the top and et cetera, et cetera. And it does strike me that there is a return to just classic cocktails or unfussy type mixology that's happening right now, um, which I think makes that a little bit more approachable to drinkers as well who might be looking for those types of experiences and might have been intimidated uh, or even put off by some of the the fruitfulness that existed. Uh, and I know that still does, but a little bit of a grounding of that segment, I think can only help it to the detriment of beer and, you know, 
dive bars and et cetera. Hmm. Anyway. Kennedy, you're our disposable income millennial who buys pickle beers. What do you, what do you see in around Brooklyn? Um, What's going on in the transmitter tasting room as we speak? Well, there's actually quite a few people here. It doesn't sound like it, but then we went out at a, at a tasting room brewery in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, which I've been told is uh, here during the week around this time than it is on the weekends because most of the people that are here are um, office workers in the complex. So um, it is a little busy. And, yeah, I mean, generally in Brooklyn, I don't know. I go to tap rooms and, you know, there, there's some activity, but it's not, it's not like it was for sure. Um, I tend to go, I mean, I guess. Bless those people drinking at lunch. Yeah. Also, Justin, and, and, and I love I love your point. You sound like you're on a rotary dial-up phone. Yeah, in I didn't hear a word he said. Oh, he's live on the scene. He's going to report to us from the field every episode. He, he, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, you guys can't hear me. Oh, now, That's now better. better. You just have to lean into your is computer. It, is that better? Okay, sorry. I'm on the phone in the tap room uh, in Brooklyn. So that's why you can't hear me properly. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, Jeff, you must be – how many how many different articles did you get uh, – I'm sorry. How many different emails did you get uh, over the last couple of weeks asking you for your theories for 2024? You know, not as many as I should have given that I'm the worst predictor of anything. Like people should – for good comedy, they should be asking me what's going to happen because it will definitely not happen if I predict it. Hey, uh, <laughs> this show is all about good comedy. So Jeff Allworth, author of the Beer Bible and the editor of the Beervana Beer Blog, noted industry analyst. I don't know why I can't hear you guys. Soothsayer. Uh, what are your predictions for 2024? <laughs> uh real predictions or uh comedy predictions uh <laughs> i you know i you the way that you made it seem is that they're one and the same that's right that's right uh yeah let's go either way i you know out here on the west coast we're we're drinking a lot of west coast pilsner uh which i love in so i think that's yeah. definitely the new the new beer style we're all going to be drinking in 24 um what is a west coast pilsner for those that don't know in my experience, so this is how I, as I found it in the field, it is uh, a real Pilsner that has real malt character, uh, awesome crisp finish. You can tell it's a Pilsner, but floating on top of it is are these American hops that are incredibly aromatic and and uh, fruity in the in the palate. Um, and when it's done properly, it is a really uh, it's actually one of my favorite new styles. I really love it. Um, they're not always done well. Sometimes it's just like a cold pale ale or something like that. But um, it's actually a pretty cool style. So that's another reason I'm I, I'm hoping it takes off because I really love them. Uh, mm. Do you guys have those out there? Is that is 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 the West Coast uh, Pilsner the same as a as a juicy lager? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's what Augie was talking about on the last episode. I actually, it's funny, Jeff. I, I made a whole diatribe about this in the last episode, so I won't do it again. Yeah, please. 
I think I think it can be done better in a return to a golden ale with a proper ale ferment that gives some fruitiness to what those hops are trying to do. Um, when you gave your description, you talked about real malt character, and I think what happens is a proper, well done um, lager yeast pilsner ferment ends up being so ashy and so dry and so kind of mineral driven, you need to kind of malt up or over hop to get there. Whereas if you use, I'll obviously lean into Kolsch because I'm me, but there's a million other, you know, you could use Ringwood or, or other proper little European ale strains that would make a better, bright, dry, supporting those hops better beers where my philosophy is on it so far it is definitely the case that you want a yeast uh lager strain that does not produce uh, much sulfur because that really is not good <laughs> so <laughs> for sure but yeah but you know what i mean you can always no matter how well you handle your lager part of what makes it lager is that little bit of that you know gray stone or carbon aspect of the fermentation um and that's what makes lagers amazing and there's definitely well hopped ones i just feel like for where we want to end up it'd be better to start off with treating an ale yeast more like a lager yeast than a lager yeast more like an ale yeast if that makes sense well i do think um i do think american lagers are going to evolve we are going to end up some at some point where we're no longer making uh, German Hellas's out of Ironman malt um, and Holler <laughs> Tower, you know, like it's gonna it's gonna come over to America. So I think that Americans are gonna figure out how to make a sessionable strength lager with American hopping techniques and American hops that really is palatable. Whether it's called a West Coast lager, uh, West Coast Pilsner, or whatever. Um, so I'm I've been curious about this for years because it seems like mostly you do find European examples um, and fewer examples where Americans are doing the stuff Americans normally do with beer. But I, I think we're starting to see that. And I, I personally am loving the results. So I hear what you're saying, Augie, but, um, yeah. but, I, but I'm loving them. No, and, and, and it's fun. Like, that's why it's fun to play around in there, right? So, so the, I, the only juicy lager that I had in 2023 that I'm aware of or that was marketed as such came from John Harris at Ecliptic. And 2023, I think, was a, 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 a year where a lot of breweries um, that were beloved or liked or uh, popular uh, did close down, and Ecliptic was one of them. And I think we texted I thought, they got, I thought they got bought out, John. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I mean, what's that? Yeah, I think the, the brand did, but the the brewery itself, like the physical location, closed. Am I getting that right? Oh, uh, I see. I see. Yes, John, you you got it exactly right. The brewery is closing. They had actually a brewery and a taproom location. Those are both closing. The taproom location has already been reoccupied, so that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> that's, but... that's just Portland, man. Right? I mean, there is is there <laughs> just a waiting list for breweries to go out of business and it's like all right we're ready turnkey operation you guys are essentially a nation of squatters right like, it's not hard to move people in <laughs> yeah and we have been since the 80s when i got here so it's, it's very it's very appropriate um 
but no, so they did. So yeah, but their their tap room is closed though. But I mean, there there seemed to be a larger cry of sadness when Harris made that announcement. Is, uh, is yeah. that fair? It, I mean, it was terrible. Uh, John Harris, it, it, he, he made the announcement about a week or two after the 10th anniversary of Ecliptic, uh, where where I attended uh, and hung out with John, and he was jovial and happy and did not give any clue that he was about to close the brewery. I think we would have had a very different vibe if we'd known that. Um, for people who don't know John Harris, he was, uh, one of the, he was one of the first brewers in Oregon. He started brewing for the McMinimans in the mid-1980s was the founding brewer at Deschutes. Then he was at Full Sail for about 20 years before he opened Ecliptic, which he owned for 20, uh, for 10 years, which just shows how long he's been around. Yeah. Um, so he's a, he's a- And he's of, been on the show, but yeah. But it, it was just a, yeah, that 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 was a loss. It's a, it's a, it was a gut shot. And to your point, John, uh, you know, it was a, it was a COVID failure. And these COVID failures are, are happening long after COVID because- when we were talking earlier about how everybody expected the bounce back to come and it didn't, uh, people who were carrying debt, uh, people who were depending on taproom sales that didn't come back, you know, they, they, they struggled to get through COVID, uh, until the COVID period was en ending and they could get back to business and then business didn't come back. And so, uh, we're watching some of those breweries fail. Yeah. Are you aware over here of flying fish? Yeah, definitely. Which has a lot of, a, you know, a Jersey version of the pedigree you're describing announced Friday that they're filing chapter 11, although they're trying to stay in business, they're doing it under chapter 11. Right. And I, when I, I read a brief piece and it sounds like they have massive debt, which is. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I'm super confused by all of it. I don't know how you get that much in debt um, from, or at least the numbers I've heard. Like, I don't know who's writing you paper at that point. Um, but yeah, so not to, you know, not to put a bow on it, but let's go back to, to Jeff's current article. Guys, go buy a fucking beer at your local brewery. Um, anyway. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I heard you talking about that. And I was like, yeah, that matters too. Yeah, it does. Uh, which is, you know, I think one of the reasons John closed when he did was because he'd hoped for the bounce back. It didn't happen. And then you're coming into January, you know, you're coming in the winter when there's no sales. So if you didn't, if you didn't get it going in, in the summer, when the, the fat times are coming, you're definitely not happening in the winter. So yeah. As consumers, we have some chance to help out a little bit in the margins if we can get out there and drink some beer. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's really, to be fair, that's, that's all there is to it, right? Like, I'm, t I hate to, you know, I'm, first of all, I'm never right. So I shouldn't say things with such confidence. But I swear to God, if you just, after dinner, go to the bar for one more beer, giving the restaurant the table back it needs. And getting the one pint of beer that the beer culture needs problems, you know, that's the first step back. It's like, it's like you're saying, just go out. Even if you're, even if you're being dry, have a cup of tea and some nachos, like support, support the place. Cause I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that, 
you know, let's just, I'll make it personal. So I'm not being mean to anybody we're talking about, but if I go out of business tomorrow, I hope it would sadden people, but, but the way to avoid that would have been to show up today. You know what I mean? So do people really regret it when these places go away? Because you know what I mean? Or have we all just changed so much? Are we all so sick of seeing people, right? Like part of me as a misanthrope worries that what COVID made me was comfortable not being out in public, right? So I kind of fight myself. Like you have to go out. You have to be a human. You have to go see people. <laughs> Is too much of that going on around the nation? I. It's a good point. Um, one of the things that I'm curious though about and and in that, to to play off of that 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 thought that you just had, Augie, though, of in Portland, I don't even know if people have a chance to grieve. Do they, Jeff? If if somebody has already moved into that tap room, <laughs> Fair and they point. can just Fair go point. to the next. You know, I mean, it's like like what's the old line? Like the bed wasn't even cold yet. It's <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing. And I think about what was the what was the brewery that 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 uh, that Modern Times was in that Sean Burke had beforehand that somebody else is in now. Well, uh, what was the place we met the, you? The at? Commons. Yeah, the, the Commons. Commons. Yeah. So it was Commons. Like, went we loved to the Commons. Times, went and, yeah. to yeah, whatever it is now, uh, which was delightful. But I mean, it's if somebody is just used to having a brewery on their corner, and all of a sudden it's just different branding, but there's still beer in the tanks and being poured, <laughs> like. Can you meet John? That's a like, good are point. Are you are you able to grieve out there, Jeff? Well, you know, there's there's the there's the folks who are kind of on the inner side of the industry, and then there's folks on the outside. And and in Portland, I think our outside group is a lot bigger than it is in other places. So when John Harris closed his brewery, I, you know, I would guess that um, maybe a good quarter of the people in Portland knew who John Harris was, and and really that really hit them hard which is you know a higher percentage than it might be knowing a brewer in another town we have is portland's a small town and we kind of hold on to our our little local heroes who we don't really have national heroes so uh it's a very insular little town so people like john harris matter a lot and it 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 hit people hard and not just the people who are in the industry who knew john i mean i think it was it was kind of a big deal so yeah i would say um that one for sure uh, really hurt. And and the, the truth is, unlike other cities, this market is so incredibly mature that we wa we've watched a lot of landmark breweries that would probably survive in other cities not survive here because the competition is so strong. Um, the first brewery that was founded uh, in, in Portland, Bridgeport closed. Uh, the third brewery, Portland Brewing closed. Uh, you know, we're just, the, the, it's hard to keep a brewery open here if you're not, relevant to the consumer so yeah it's tough yeah. but and the thing is i don't think anybody realized augie's point of the way to keep a brewery open today uh or tomorrow is to go to drink today i don't think anybody understood that john was in trouble because he was brewing i don't know 15 20 000 barrels of beer a year so we kind of thought that ecliptic was in good shape yeah and he's doing collaborations and i mean even from you know my seat here in jersey i mean they were staying on top of the conversation you know they were they had a you know a, a, a media department that was reaching out all the time their social media was active like it was you know it seemed 
like things were going on on a pretty decent clip. Yeah, and in terms of beer, uh, on that in that ten at that tenth anniversary uh, party that I went to, I had a West Coast Pilsner. I mean, John is really keeping on top of trends, and the brewery is not like a a legacy show, you know, with the the fog yeah. hat playing the playing the hits. He was he was doing the you know he was he was a relevant. It was a relevant brewery that was on the on the cutting edge. Hmm. That's sad. That's it. But again, again, so part of what part of what we talk about a lot, and one of one of the things that came out of that that first show with you, was it the Commons? Did we establish it was the Commons that when we were in that space? Yeah, that's where it was. Yes, it was the um, Commons, and then it was Modern Times, and now it is Living House. And you guys should all come out to Portland because I think you would love Living House. It is a wonderful brewery that I could talk about if you're interested. But it's uh, it, that site has had a bunch of really good breweries, and I'm hoping this one sticks. <laughs> is it we, the landlord charges too much rent? <laughs> yeah, the the two breweries that closed. So Modern Times, of course, closed because the the company had grown too fast and the entire company was in collapse. So they closed the Portland site. Um, and uh, the commons closed because they were so wedded to farmhouse ales that it was very late in the game that they decided to start brewing stuff that a broader right. audience would want um, and a little bit too late. So I don't know. I don't think it's necessary. So that, but that's the mystery that I was going to talk about. If I don't know if you remember, but I remember it finally. It was one of my favorite conversations, but we sat in an all saison brewery and you brought me my first heater allen mm -hmm. and and i was just shocked coming from new jersey at the time i was the you know number 13 of 21 breweries and there was just no way to pretend you could be be an all lager brewery or an all saison brewery or that each of those could exist in the same state let alone the same city so I just remember being like, you know, Portland has such depth and such history that that this can exist. You know what I mean? Because because it just was so foreign to me, and I thought it was something to aspire to. But now it's between John's excellent point about the the squatters' rights of of former brew spaces, <laughs> and your point of ecliptic being so everything a brew should be and still hitting the trouble it hit is. You know, is it so mature that there's a zero sum game, right? In New Jersey, it's not a zero sum game. We're still we're still not per capita good. So if you can come in and do a good job and our government doesn't try to kill you, you you can still find success. Where it sounds there that, you know, it are if everybody's already a beer drinker and they're already drinking all the beer they can drink, what can you do? You know, I mean, does every success steal from someone else? Yeah, that I mean, that is definitely the case. That 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 is where we are. We, you know, the the. I think I, I would guess that the in Portland, the draft sales of beer that we would call craft beer uh, is something around eighty percent, um, probably ten percent Mexican and ten percent everything else, including draft beer that's not brewed in Oregon, uh, like Washington draft beer. Um, so you, it's just a, it it's off the charts different than most other cities and it is a really really competitive market uh for that reason um but you know i, I do think that the, the flip side is a brewery closes and another one opens and and we're we still we don't 
the Saison Brewery, uh, we, well, I, can't, I can't claim that we have replaced our Saison breweries, but we have a bunch of specialty breweries that are doing really interesting stuff. And if your business model is, you know, in that thousand to 2000 barrels and you can pencil it out and make a profit, um, you have, you, you definitely have space in Portland to open a brewery and, and find an audience. And when we're seeing that quite a bit, actually, there's, you know, in the last two years, we've had some pretty, pretty cool openings and, and that's, that's an interesting wrinkle because flying fish was definitely in that 30,000 barrel a year size. And it sounds like that's where ecliptic was. And it seems that the the business model is kind of that other half business model where you don't open one brewery and try to get to 50,000 barrels. You open five breweries and get each one of them to 10, largely leaning on, you know, that neighbor's pull to that brewery and its success being on that success and not, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and one of the things that's great about Portland is it is a great draft town. So if you are one of those smaller breweries, you're going to be able to sell a lot of draft beer and a lot of it uh, outside of your own tap room. We, I think we have, I, I don't, I haven't counted recently, but probably 20 breweries that have satellite tap rooms in the city. Um, so, you know, you, you can actually, your, your, your business model looks pretty good in terms of uh, making a profit, your your margins are pretty good <laughs> in Portland if you can if you can stay small. Once you get into distribution, then things get really different. Yeah, I think yeah, it's funny because now how do you how do you scratch the record and wind it back? But yeah, I think that's the lesson. You know what I mean? Like everybody who is like like we're seeing it around here. Part of what happened to Flying Fish was they tried to merge with Cape May who had done the same thing, like ran at 20,000 barrels and then had problems in that that area. You know what I mean? Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I appreciate your time. Now, we owe it to the thieves in this new year to, to finish on a positive note. So, Kennedy, if you don't have a letter, Cass, say something super entertaining and positive because we've ended up down here and I want to be positive. Yeah, well, just get out there and drink some damn beer and no matter what you hear, things are not that bad out there you know you got to support your local watering holes local breweries distilleries hell anybody that's making hooch get on out there get yourself a drink if you're as you say going dry do something else while you're there there's still other things to have but uh except in my words except in new jersey although aren't things changing <laughs> I, think so. I think i read something somewhere yeah they pet they well, finally agreed on a yeah, bill that uh, that lets you have a food truck outside. Right. It's one step towards that's, that's a better all. future. <laughs> that, hey, it's, it's something. Now you can yeah, have a flat and taco. And Last night, you're allowed to turn on your TVs again. If you didn't throw your TVs out, you can turn them back on, and you're allowed to have a taco truck outside as long as you don't know the taco truck. Yeah. Well, before I lose cell phone service here, uh, stealthisbeer.com you know go check out the site click the links there patreon.com slash steal this beer thank you all for donating those ducats patroons pennies nickels quarters and dimes as dollars and cents appreciate it uh follow us on all the social medias at steal this beer see what we're drinking on tap steal this beer and that's all i got for you see you next week all right y'all get at us